This is the day the Lord has made, and you're going to be glad in this day, aren't you? It's better than the alternative, isn't it? I mean, we could look grumpy all day long, and it just doesn't fit for Christians to be grumpy. Well, you know, I, I got some good news today. You know, last week I brought Steve up here, and he said he had 19 people going to take this ESL class. And they're going to come to this church and learn God's Word using ESL. And uh, it's not 19. And today it's 24. Is that right, Steve? 24. Yeah, at the rate you're going, Steve, you're going to take over this church. And we're going to have, what are you going to do have 400 people sitting in here? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? I tell you what. Listen. Take your Bibles that you bring to church with you every Sunday and open your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. <clears throat> 1 John 4, 15, we're going to read on through verse 21. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love of God which, has, which He has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that one who loves God should love his brother also. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it speaks to our hearts, Lord, and it convicts us. And sometimes, Father, we, uh, we, are, we are bothered and offended by this, Lord. But, Lord, you are right. And if we oppose your word, Father, then we are wrong. Lord, your word is truth. And, uh, Lord, it will stand forever. It stands the test of time. So, Lord, we just pray that you'll bless, bless this message today, Father. We ask that your spirit, Lord, would work in the hearts whom you have already prepared to speak to, Father, concerning uh, uh, the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, Father, that there might be one here today to repent of sin and come to faith in Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I want to ask you something. Have you ever heard these words or something similar to this? For richer or poorer? For better or worse, in sickness and in health. Have you heard those words before? Mm-mm-mm. You're making a commitment there, aren't you? I'm reminded of a, uh, of a humorous story of a, of a couple who are standing before their pastor on their wedding day. And the pastor spoke these vows I had just mentioned, and the bride, upon hearing them, responded to the minister saying, well, preacher, I reckon he'll get no richer. I'm thinking he'll get no better, so I'm supposing I'll just take him as he is. Now, think about that. He's not going to get richer. 
He's not going to get better. I'm just going to take him as he is. Isn't our God just like that groom? You're the bride. You are the bride. Christ is the groom. Listen to what the bride says. He'll get no richer. Do you know that God owns all that is in this universe and all that's in heaven also? He can't get richer than what he is. He owns everything already. He'll get no richer. He'll get no better. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. God is good. He is holy. He is just. And he is pure. He's not going to get any better than that. He's as as better as he's going to get. So just as that bride, so we, the bride of Christ, should just take him as he is. Just the way God is. Don't try to dress him up in today's culture. Don't, Don't make him look different and try to make our God a politically correct God. It is the culture that needs to change, not God. Take God just as he is, as he he speaks of himself, as he reveals himself and discloses himself in his word. You take him just as he is. Don't try to manipulate and maneuver him some way that he becomes a God that ain't there. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 34, we are told to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Just the way he is. Our God is a good God. We serve a good God. When we profess and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it involves a lifetime confession and is to be sustained a sustained attitude of our hearts. Don't you find it amazing that we, have, that we have people that all over this world, not just the United States, but all over this world, there are people that are rioting and protesting and doing everything they can do because they want other people to understand who they are. They're trying to get other, other people to change their minds as to who they are. Let me tell you something. You can change all the minds you want to change. But what is more important than changing minds is seeing someone's heart changed. When the heart is changed, the attitude and the character and the mind and the will and the emotions of the person is changed also. Change the heart. Forget about the mind. Get into the heart of the person. What that person needs is a heart transformation by knowing Jesus Christ as the Lord and their Savior. Verse 15 of our text tells us that those who make this commitment to Christ have for eternity the abiding presence of God in them. Folks, are you aware of this? That you today who say that I'm a Christian, that you are going to be a Christian for eternity. You are a Christ follower. You someday are going to be changed into the complete image of Jesus Christ. That he is, a, he is a glorified Christ and he someday is going to give you and present to you a glorified body. You'll be with him forever. 
Now then, do you see in verse 16 where it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. So what we have here is a biblical statement concerning God's love demonstrated demonstrate to us in the, in the mission of Jesus Christ who was given for us. You know that Jesus came here with a mission. In John 3.16, we talked about this last week, maybe the last couple of weeks, but John 3.16, going back to that again, it says, For God so loved the world. The magnitude of God's love for us is seen in the fact that He gave us His Son. Understand this, that God gave you the very best, the very best that He had in all of glory. God gave you Himself. God gave you himself. He is, the, he is Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ is God. Don't separate him and say, well, this is God, the Father. This is God, the Son. And this is God, the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. God gave himself for you. God demonstrated his love for you. And that while we were still sinners, that he died for us. Christ died for us. God died for you. So how, how great is the magnitude of God's love? God so loved the world. Now, pay close attention here. Because there are times when we miss what is the most obvious thing. There, there are things before us that are absolutely, totally obvious. We, we read it in Scripture and it flies past us just as if you were playing third base and, and somebody like a Paul Goldschmidt hit a line drive at 110 miles an hour past your head and just... We, we see, we, 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 we should see the most obvious, but we don't see the obvious most of the time. We see the, what is most desired. We miss the obvious for what is the most desired. You see, if you're playing third base, the desired thing is I'm going to catch that ball before it knocks me down. That's the desired thing. So that's what we desire, but what is the obvious thing? In Scripture, the obvious thing and the most desired thing also have a dual situation. We miss the obvious for what benefits us the most. So let's look at this in a theological way. Let me explain. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to this world as a human being? A lot of you, perhaps, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm talking to a group of theologians here, and you might, you might have all the answers. I don't know. But many, I suppose, would say that the number one answer why Jesus came to this world is to save us from our sins. We want that to be the most, ob the, the most obvious answer. We want that to be the most correct answer. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And you know what, folks? I want to tell you right now. That is a correct answer. And if I were grading your paper and you gave me that answer, I would give you a B plus or an A minus for that answer. Now you're wondering what's number one. What is the most correct answer why Jesus came to this world? What, what is the, the number one reason why Christ came? Are you ready for the answer? 
The first and foremost answer is Christ came to give his Father glory and to obey him. Number one answer. If that answer is not number one, then a second good answer to save us wouldn't work. If Jesus didn't come to be totally obedient to his Father and give him glory, there wouldn't be a number two answer. Number one, number two works because number one works. Number one is the most, is the most obvious, but number two is the most desired. What we're looking at is, Lord, I want to be saved. I want, I want to be saved from my sins. But you need to realize that that came with a cost, don't you? That came with a cost. And Jesus came and he completely, actively and passively obedient to his Father's will in everything. And even this, Jesus, Jesus in his high priestly prayer in, in John chapter 17. Now realize this, John chapter 17 is, is at the tail end, at the tail end of, of, his, of, his, of his earthly ministry before he goes to the cross. When you get to John 17, John chapter 18 is when Jesus is arrested. This is, this is the tail end of his life. John 17 is the tail end of his life. He's about to be arrested in 18, and he's to be scourged and, and, and crucified. And by chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus dies. John 17, 4 says this. Jesus praying as high priest and says, I, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Number one answer, why did Jesus come to this world? To glorify the Father and be completely obedient to Him in order for you and I to have salvation. It is only secondary, secondarily that this mission of Christ would apply to us. That is, that we are recipients of God's saving grace only as it pertains to His obedience in regard to His Father's will and for His glory. So then, what is or should be most obvious to us is that Jesus' perfect obedience to His Father's will. And what most often, what most often we desire is that Jesus Christ has come as Luke 19.10 says, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. But it necessitates the fact that Christ would come, that he would be completely obedient to his Father, that he would glorify the Father in everything that he does. Now understand something. Without the perfect obedience of Christ, you and I would never be saved. Now listen, the very foundation, the very foundation of heaven's glory is based upon the love of God as seen in His Son, Jesus Christ. The ministry of Christ to us, the enjoyment we receive are due to God's love for us. We see Christ as our advocate, it's because God loves us. 
We see Christ as our intercessor, it's because God loves us. We see Christ as our mediator, it's because Christ, God loves us. We see Christ as our high priest, it is because God loves us. All of this is based upon God's love. God does us good. Even, even to the extent that hell's torment is a reminder to us believers as to the truth of his word, as to how great his love is toward us. Do you realize that when you think of hell, what we think of, first of all, when we think of hell, we're thinking of flames, don't we? We say, man, that's hell. We think of Satan's presence. You say, oh, that's hell. No, there's more than that. I mean, that is that, but that's not the, that's not the, big, that's not the worst part of hell. What's the worst part of hell? The absence of God. Total separation from God. There's nothing worse. Folks, I'll guarantee, listen to this. By the authority of God's word, there is nothing worse. Nothing worse that you could ever experience than the absolute, absolute, total separation from God. And whoever does not believe has that separation. Let me tell you something. There are some seven and one-half billion people in this world. Seven and one-half billion, maybe even closer to eight billion people. It's, it's an astronomical number of people. And do you realize that over six billion of them, over six billion of that seven and a half billion do not know Jesus Christ? When you read the Sermon on the Mount and you listen to the, the preaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and you come to the seventh, the seventh chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and you read about the fact that Jesus talks about the, the narrow way that leads to life, and the broad way that leads to perdition, you need to understand that, that the way that leads to life, that there's only going to be one out of five or six people that are going to find that. Maybe 15 to 20 percent of this world will find that way to glory. The rest of the people will end up in perdition. It's a scary thought. We talk about God's love. And you say, oh, God loves everybody. God's not going to send anybody to where Satan's domain is. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but I don't see that in my Bible, that God won't send anybody to perdition. Do you? Will, will he? Yes. What, what do you think he's meaning? He says, depart from me, you cursed, I never knew you. What do you, what do you think he's talking about? Get out of the party, get out of the parade? What, what's he talking about? He's talking about the separation from heaven and hell. Folks, there are only two kinds of people in this world. Only two kinds, metaphorically speaking. There are sheep and there are what? goats the sheep belong to Christ and enter his sheepfold of heaven the goats go where I mean this is not five choices it's, there's heaven or hell which, which one is it which one is it where, where, where are you headed heaven with Christ 
You've experienced the love of God in your life that while you fled from him, he pursued you and he grabbed you. While you ran from him, he, he, out, he out distanced you and took you into his arms. Now you know him as your Lord and Savior. It's either that God who pursues us while we fled from him or it is the God of this world who has influenced your mind, will, and emotions to do that which is demonic and opposed to God. And we think that we are so smart. Years and years and years ago, I was a young, young 20-something-year-old pastor. Years ago. Thousands of years ago. I was witnessing this young teenage boy sharing the gospel with him. This is a true story. Sharing the gospel. He says, he says, I don't know if I can believe that. He says, you see, I'm smart. So, you know, again, I asked for his autograph. What does the scripture say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the fool. Oh, preacher, I don't like what the Bible teaches. It, it, it talks about dying to self, and it talks about that, the fact that I'm a sinner, and it tells about the fact that I, I need to die to myself, and I need to just believe in Jesus Christ. I need to turn my life over to God, and God needs to control my destiny. I can't control my own destiny. I want to be an autonomous person. Let me tell you, preacher, it offends me. Well, guess what, folks? Good. It needs to offend you. What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? He convicts us of our sin. He convicts us of judgment that is coming. I, 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 I don't understand. In my mind, I can't understand why people say, well, I don't want Jesus in my life because of the... Folks, there's no other option. Jesus says, what does Jesus say? I am, I am, he says, the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Period. There, there's not a whole bunch of different ways. The ministry of Christ to us. The enjoyment we receive are due to God's love for us. Even the fear of hell itself is a gift to us because you fear, you, you understand that the Bible talks about what hell has to offer. And it is a blessing to you that you say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm going here. And you will escape the horror of such an eternal destiny. And consider this, if, if, the, if, the conscious, if the conscious mind of the unregenerate person should even begin to convict them of these things, even begin to convict them of the fact that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ came to, 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 to uh, obey His Father in mission and, and, to, and to do that which glorifies the Father. If they understood that Jesus Christ did that and, he, and Jesus Christ died bearing their sin on, the, on Calvary's cross, if they for a moment consider that, what would they do? They too would then, at this very moment, bend the knee 
and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. If for just a moment that would enter their heart and their mind, they would confess that our God is a good God, that He is a God who is a God of love. Oh yes, friends, that God does us good. But let this forever be settled in our minds that you and I, because we are Christians and millions of others all over this world, millions upon millions of others all over this world, that we may have confidence, according to verse 17, have confidence in the day of judgment. One day, one day we're all going to stand before God, who is the judge of both the living and the dead, aren't we? Every one of us. We're going to stand before God. We shall stand before him with fullest confidence, however, and know that we, ha- that we face he who is both our friend and our advocate. Listen, you're going to stand before God. You're going to, listen, you're going to be with him toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, eye-to-eye, face-to-face. You're going to face our Lord Jesus Christ in judgment. Because God has given judgment to his son, Jesus Christ. You're going to stand before God as judge. And you're not going to see him, you're not going to see him as one who's about to give a sentence for execution. You're going to see him who is your friend and your advocate. You have no friend like Jesus. Listen, when you stand before him, you'll see him as your friend and your advocate. You have nothing, listen, if you are a believer, you have nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You have absolutely nothing to fear. We then shall be surrounded by a myriad of heaven's witnesses. Revelation 7, 11. Thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions will stand there around. And our Lord will be there. And he is the judge of all people everywhere. And he shall say to his elect people, that is you. You are his chosen people. You are the household of faith. You are the bride of Christ. You will stand before him, and he will say to you, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Folks, if that, listen, if that don't get your motor going, nothing's going to. God, God has a place for you already from the foundation, before you were even conceived. Before your mom and dad were conceived, before your grandma and grandpa were, listen, before Abraham was conceived, oh, listen, before Adam was, con- was made by God, created by God, before that, from the beginning of the foundation, from the foundation of the world, God knew you. God prepared a place for you. And God prepared a Savior for you. And God, listen, and God has prepared a place that he's coming to take you. And you have got a home in glory. The other day I was driving past one of the most magnificent homes just not too far from where I live. It's not my place. I saw, I saw this beautiful home, thousands and thousands of square feet. And I'm thinking, that is nothing compared to what God has got for me in glory. I mean, that is just a shack. I'll be parking my car in there. (laughs) I go to prepare a place for you. Created by God's own hands. Listen, if he could create this universe, could you imagine what kind of house he's going to build? What kind of mansion? What kind of dwelling place he's got for you? 
Not a cabin in a corner, but a mansion on Main Street. Kind of exciting, and it kind of makes you want to go right now. <laughs> Buy your bus ticket now. Hmm? Verse 18. It says, there is. There is no fear in love. Friends, listen. If God's love is being administered to his children, then we should have all the assurance that all fear, that all fear in your life shall fear, worry, anxiety, timidity, gone. We read in Revelation 14, 7, fear God. Listen. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. I just say that we should not fear God, but it says fear God. What is He talking about? This kind of fear is not one of worry and, or anxiety or anything like that. But he says that when He says to the people of God to fear God, He's talking about reverence and worship. Reverence and worship. It's the very substance. Worship is the very substance of our faith. That's what we do. We come here not to be recipients of worship, but to be participants in worshiping God together as a family, as a household of faith. We worship God. You may possibly recall this great hymn of our faith. You know, there, there's some great hymns. In, you know, there are just some wonderful hymns in there, in, 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 the, in those old hymn books that people are so anxious to get rid of. There's some great hymns in there. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. It's a, it's a call to the church. It's a prelude of all of heaven's glorious songs that we come together and we honor our God and we worship Him. Pavilioned in splendor. God is seated on His throne. The train of His robe is filling the temple where we come to worship. And we enter there. We enter there. Not as Isaiah entered and says, oh, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. No, no, not like that. We worship Him. And we sing songs of glory to our God and our Savior. Because sin will no longer be present with us. We'll enter with confidence and boldness. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus as our mediator. Jesus as our high priest. But then there's also another fear of God that stems from a sense of guilt. And in this kind of fear, God is seen to be a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, consuming fire. Let me read you, talking about consuming fire, let me read you something from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4. I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7, rather. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and then 13 and, and 14. Daniel writes, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. 
a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. That's what he's talking about. Millions of them. The court sat and the books, the books were opened. And then he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. You will be there. Believer, Christian, you will be there. Not inhabiting some unknown planet somewhere, but you'll be in the, in the very kingdom that God has prepared for himself and his, and his heavenly host and for the bride of Jesus Christ. You will be there. Listen, God is good and loves as much as is in his nature all who are in Christ. However, it is the rebellious act of sin and those who are unrepentant that brings forth the wrath and condemnation and judgment of God to all who would stand before him unrepentant, unregenerate. God's justice toward them is rightly due in that they rob him of the very glory that is his. But you, my fellow Christian, you who are in Christ shall have no fear of God's punishment, no fear of God's condemnation, no fear of God's correction. And finally, and finally, our love for God is not seen only in our attitude that has no fear, but we are to have a love that is expressed. Are you ready for this? We're to have a love that's expressed in our love for other people. How can you love God whom you've not seen and hate someone that you see? Can you hate your brother? Can you hate your sister? Is that possible? Should we hate one another? God didn't hate us. God loves us. Young scribe walks up to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell me, what is the first and foremost commandment? And Jesus says, To love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And he says, In the second, is just like that to love your neighbor as you love yourselves. In this is all the law and all the prophets. This is what God is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You say you love God? You say God is love and that God loves you? Then friend, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for... Thank you for this church, Lord. It has blessed me so much. I'm so thankful for these people.
But Lord, perhaps there might be someone here today, Lord, that is, is running from you. But Lord, I know that in Christ, that uh, Father, that, you, that you, have your, you have your people from the foundation of the world, Lord, that, that your love pursues them. I don't understand all that, Lord. I just believe it. Lord, that, that, that you pursue us. It's not us who pursues you, that you pursue us. You bring us to yourself, Lord, and you wrap your arms of love around us. And you clothe, clothe us, in, in, us in garments that are fit for the kingdom. I thank you for that. Now, Lord, as we have this time of response, Lord, perhaps there's someone here today that, doesn't, that does not know Jesus. Father, he is the only way, the only way to glory, the only way. Please allow that message to resonate in someone's heart, Father. And Lord, may anybody that's been appointed to eternal life this day, Lord, that, Lord, that you would have their way in their life this very day. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. My friend, just a simple question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Christ? Jesus came and lived a perfect life, perfect life, died on a cross, was buried. Third day, rose again from the dead. He ascended into glory. He's seated at the Father's right hand. And guess what, folks? He's coming back. Today, if you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, and you believe in your heart that He is the Lord, you repented of your sins and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask you to take over my life. Forgive me my sins. I confess you as my Savior. Folks, it's just something even that simple. If the Spirit of God's con convicted you of that today, that you need to do that, don't be, don't be ashamed. Listen, when Christ went to Calvary, there's no shame in what He did. He did that because of His love for His church, for you. Confess Jesus as your Savior. Let us rejoice with you and celebrate with you of what a wonderful gift God has given you this day, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ.